Good morning, hundreds and hundreds of the hundreds of people. <laughs> Welcome to Wake Up America Show. I guess everybody's ready to rise in freedom this morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. They call me AP sometimes. AP for Liberty. We're glad to have you here. Thankful, I guess, to Rumble. Probably put us on the front page today. Let's give a little bit of a round of applause for our friends over at Rumble.com. Thank you. I get to hang out with a bunch of new friends this morning. Click like. And if it's your first time here and you end up enjoying the content that you hear and see this morning, do me a favor, click that subscribe button. We'd love to have you come back and join us here. The show's schedule is every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. That's when the Wake Up America show streams live. It's a great way to start your day as well, of course. It's a cup of Founding Flavors coffee, which a lot of people have been ordering lately. Nice to see everybody here today. we got a, a lot to talk about. If I stop spitting all over the microphone, <laughs> you better. Appreciate everybody joining us here today. Don't forget, you got that text line down there at the bottom of the screen if you'd like to have your voice heard today. 573-319-1586. There we go. There we go. 573-319-1586. There you go. Hit it up if you'd like to have your comments heard on the show today. All right. Let's start it out today with the big news. More black Republicans, more black Americans running as Republicans than in recent history. You love to see it. Very exciting news. And more and more people are fleeing from blue states to red states, which might make people happy, but honestly, I think a lot of conservatives are going to be panicking. They're going to be freaking out because they don't want a California, my Texas, right? We don't want a New York, my Missouri, right? So it's it's a double-edged sword. Obviously, the policies of red states are why people are going to move there because people like Gavin Newsom are destroying the economies of their states. Go Governor Kathy Hochul of New York destroying the economies of their states. And uh, a big part of it, of course, is illegal immigration. The people in these blue states are finally starting to feel the pain of the policies that they've inflicted on their own citizens. Now that illegal immigration is starting to affect the northern states as much as it is the southern states here. And we have a sincere problem in the United States of violent illegal aliens coming into this country with another uh, heinous act of murder by a criminal illegal alien who had been arrested three times before murdering a Georgia student, Lake and Riley, disfiguring her skull in a brief amount of time. Authorities finding her body sh a short time later on a jogging path with the leftist media out there running cover for the criminal illegal alien claiming that this was this act of violence is the kind of thing that can happen to you on a regular Sunday morning jog, ladies, with no mention whatsoever in the Associated Press report about the fact that Lake and Riley was murdered by a criminal illegal alien, not just somebody who was coming to the United States with their family for a better life because they just wanted a job, but someone who was known to authorities and who had been arrested before and released out on the streets to commit crimes. Again, it is a crime against the citizens of the United States that the Biden administration has refused to uphold the laws, the proper and necessary laws of the United States. I'm foaming at the mouth. Excuse me here, guys. Sorry. Another lovely Venezuelan. We're going to talk about it this morning, including a, a little video that I found that shows many of these illegal aliens aren't being reported uh, as 
the country of origin. Well, the ethnicity, uh, their actual ethnicities. Uh, it's unbelievable, this crime and the uh, amount of gaslighting going on in the media. I'm going to play that clip for you here in just a couple of minutes. But first, I want to make sure that I introduce for you our two guests on the show today. Unfortunately, Camelia Peterson will not be joining us today. I know I'm sad, but she should be back next week. So we look forward to having Camelia back again next week. Uh, although we do have a, a couple of great guests, which I think you'll enjoy. Daniel McCarthy, uh, he goes by the name Tory Anarchist on Twitter. He's one of the most mild-mannered men you've ever met. Well, he writes for The Spectator, uh, and he's written for American Conservative Magazine in the past. He wrote an article that got my eyebrows up and the hair on the back of my neck standing up a little bit. I was, I was, honestly, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, I was a little bit triggered. Because I'm the type of person that loves to drink liberal tears. How about you? Do you wake up in the morning and grab a cup of coffee and put it in your liberal tears mug, which we have, by the way, at APforLibertyShop.com? Head over there this morning, get yourself a mug. Uh, but here's the story. This is what Daniel McCarthy wrote yesterday in the New York Post. Don't cheer the spate of media layoffs. Newspapers are essential to our republic. Boo, Daniel. Boo! We're all celebrating the death of BuzzFeed, Vice News, and other leftist news rags. And so he's going to come on here today and we're going to boo Daniel McCarthy. Well, maybe he'll convince us. But uh, he's saying that we should not be cheering the death of the media institutions. I think it's great because you know what that means? That means more attention, more advertisers, and more money for small rumble channels like me at AP for Liberty. I, I think it's a good thing because fewer people are tuning, tuning in to the fake news the lamestream media, the corporate press, the apparatchiks of the Politburo, the leftist news, communist media that wants to force us all to live in the pod and eat the bugs. Uh, and we're taking their advertising dollars and we're sending it over here to AP for Liberty, right? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm Anyways, Daniel McCarthy, really good conservative guy. I was confused by this article. So when I saw his article, don't cheer the spate of media layoffs, newspapers are essential to our republic, I was like, boo, boo, Daniel McCarthy, okay, come on here and explain. Uh, tell me why you think that we should not be cheering, because honestly, I don't know about you, but I'd be cheering. Are we cheering? Are we cheering? Vice News. I mean, I liked it when Gavin McInnes was running it. Right, but then it just became another left-wing smear rag against the Proud Boys and the, the triggered by January 6th. Oh, no, the January 6ers. They're going to get you. They're going to come at you in your sleep. Uh, anyway, so Daniel MacArthur will be here at 8 o'clock. It should be good. I'm excited to talk to Inez Stepman, who's going to be joining us this morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. When I saw her article yesterday, I've been reading The Spectator a lot lately. I don't know why. It just happens to... I think I signed up for their newsletters, and so now I've, they've got great articles. This is a really cool story. So her um, headline was, How the Trad Wife Killed the Girl Boss Age. Uh, and it's all about uh, trad wives have now replaced girl bosses. Do you know what a trad wife is? Well, don't worry if you don't. By 8.30, by 9 a.m. this morning, you will know what a trad wife is. It stands for traditional wife. But she's going to explain to us this new trend and how it has triggered the left mightily. Um, people have described one of this trad wife influencers as dangerous and stupid. Uh, and CNN experts lament that too many girls are turning to this trad wife influencer as a band-aid with ideological color and they uh the cover and they fret about the sourdough starter to white supremacy pipeline i kid you not 
It starts with a nice, healthy sourdough, and it ends with Sieg Heil Heil Hitler. <laughs> Who would have known? The Sourdough to White Supremacy Pipeline. We're going to have a great show today, so make sure that you stick around through the whole show. If you have to come back later, 8.30 a.m. is when we're going to talk to Inez Stepman about the Trad Wife article that she wrote, which I think was terrific. I've uh, been reading the the, um, the Spectator, and I believe Danny McCarthy, who will be here with us at 8, he also is a writer at the... the um, a writer at uh, The Spectator as well. Okay, you guys ready to start the show? Austin, shut up. <laughs> Austin, shut up. Play the clips. Play the clips. Uh, this gentleman produced this video uh, about the murder of Georgia student Lake and Riley yesterday, which really got my attention. Take a look and a listen to this. Maybe you've seen this picture before. That's Lake and Riley. She's trending right now. You want to know why? Because she's the latest young, beautiful American girl who's been murdered by an illegal immigrant. By this one, Jose Ibarra from Venezuela. Now he came in and he was released into New York and then he moved to Georgia and that's when he committed this crime. And he was booked in as, look here where I circled, white. He's not white. No, that's the latest trend going around. They book everybody in as white. I think it helps them with their statistics. Anyway, let's take a look at some others. Here's another beautiful young American girl who was murdered by an illegal immigrant as well, Molly Tibbetts. Maybe you remember seeing this in the news or maybe you don't. And maybe you remember this girl here, Elizabeth Medina. She was uh, 16 years old, stabbed and beaten to death by this gentleman right here, another illegal alien. Now, like I said, she was 16, young high school girl. Here she is. Now, of course, all of this could have been prevented, but it wasn't. Now, let's get back to talking about why are they all being booked in as white. Take a look. Just go to X and type in white. Take a look. Take a look at this. Right here. Look at this. White. 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 Why? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> so some of you who are going to be listening to the audio podcast version of this, allow me to narrate so that you can understand later. Uh, here is a list of illegal immigrants that are being booked into jails. And when they get arrested, Dequan Yavante Cross is being listed. His race is listed as white. Um, Kendrick Green, which you, you know, white guy named Kendrick. <laughs> Eddie Lee Williams, Eddie, Eddie Lee, Eddie Stephen Williams, uh, white, 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 white. And I'll just tell you that they're, they're very dark skinned white if they're white. White, white, white. James Boyd Atkinson, that is, that dude, is not, that guy looks like he came right out of the white. bush. White, white, white. Luby Innocent, uh, Luby Innocent, Jimmy Clark, white, 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 dark, very dark white these days. It's the black ways, it's the black face of white supremacy, though. Right. Now, why is this? Why would they be doing this? It's obviously they are. Now, this is not, I mean, I could go on for hours showing you the examples of the white. White supremacy is the most lethal threat to the whole world today. Uh-huh. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda. Uh-huh. White supremacy. And I'm going to be honest, I'll tell you the worst part of the immigrants killing these beautiful young American girls. Is Maybe you've seen this. Maybe uh, you're going to have to go to Daddy Twins account there on Instagram to see the rest of that reel. Uh, well done. Okay. Illegal aliens in as white. President Trump spoke out about the death of Lake and Riley in a Truth Social post. He said, crooked Joe Biden's border invasion is destroying our country and killing our citizens. The horrible murder of 22-year-old Lake and Riley at the University of Georgia should never have happened. The monster who took her life illegally entered our country in 2022 and then was released again by radical Democrats in New York after injuring a child. 
Maybe he says, when I'm your president, we will immediately seal the border, stop the invasion, and on day one, we will begin the largest deportation operation of illegal criminals in American history. May God bless Lake and Riley and her family. Our prayers are with you. Another reason, what, to vote Donald Trump. Three days after Georgia student Lake and Riley's killer illegally crossed the border, here's what Kamala Harris went on national TV. And You're confident this border's secure? We have... A secure border. You're confident this border's What is going on? Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up America show. I see over a thousand viewers joining us live this morning. Now it's a pleasure to have you here. I hope that I get a chance to make all of your acquaintances and shake your hands and shake your hands like Javier Malay sh- shook Donald Trump's hands and slapped him on the back. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Wake Up America show is glad to have all of the new names and faces here. I'd love it if I could earn your like on this stream, as well as your subscribe to this channel here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. We'd be glad to have you come back and join us regularly every Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. That's the show's streaming schedule. We'd appreciate it if you come back and join us. So click that subscribe so you don't forget who we is. You can send us a text and let us know what's on your mind at 573 573- 319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. One listener texted in this morning with a picture watching the show saying, Rumble, Augie here, chilling with Molly. Rumor has it you had a birthday. Happy birthday. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yes. Turned 43 years old last week. Thank you for all the kind words. We appreciate all of our friends joining us here live today, and we'll be glad to have you come back and join us again soon. Talking about the murder of Lakin Riley, uh, the Associated Press posted a story about how her murder highlights the danger for female joggers. But they failed to mention how migration impacted this murder or the fact that the suspect had been let out of jail only a month ago. Lakin Riley, 22 years old, was killed while out running in the University of Georgia trails by a blunt force trauma to her head by a Venezuelan native, Jose Ibarra, uh, who was, when he was booked, was listed as white. Yes, that's right, folks. He was listed as a white guy. Booked into jail as a white person. Now, some of this may be quite disturbing as I read you some of these details. The suspect in the Georgia murder is accused of disfiguring her skull. I, I kid you not. The suspect in the killing used an object in the... Uh, as, as a weapon it was blunt force trauma and he made sure to complete his crime by literally disfiguring her skull it, this is the direct fault of the biden administration's soft on crime approach now listen for those of you who know who i am i'm a libertarian republican i believe in liberty i want a safe orderly process of immigration for people who want to come to the united states not commit crimes and contribute to American society. But we should absolutely have a security, a national security program that makes it so that American citizens should not have to to be terrorized in their communities by violence or be murdered in the places that they go to school. These, These young girls, these innocent victims who have been listed off as statistics in recent weeks, the the left doesn't care about them. The left does not care about American citizens, and they want to facilitate these this invasion in order to produce the kind of electoral results that they think are going to 
that they think are going to happen as a result of these policies that they have in place. Jose Ibarra is accused of dragging 22-year-old Lakin Riley to a secluded area. The, when, he, when he dragged her body to the secluded area, he then used blunt force trauma, an object, to cave her skull in, and it is the most heinous personal crime you could ever imagine, and it's got to stop this crime wave this invasion that is happening in the United States has got to come to an end. And it is absolutely one of the reasons why I will be voting for Donald Trump this fall. From now on, it's going to be America first, okay? America first. And I say this as someone who ran for office in 2018 saying that I didn't think that a wall was the proper way to handle this. And you know what? Guess what? I've started to grow up. You know what I'm starting to think? Build that wall, 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 build that wall. You can either have that or you can have you can have that energy or you can have this energy. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was a foot him, foot, excuse me. Honestly, we are led by very, very stupid people. Very, very stupid people. Is it just so we true, Mr. President? Let it continue. So true. So true, Mr. President. A lot of good reasons to vote for Donald Trump this fall. How about you? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this story at 573 319 1586. Again, the text lines are open at 573 319 one five eight six good news is is that some people across this country are starting to wake up black republicans are gaining ground nationwide and black democrats are starting to reconsider their party affiliation a little bit of good news this morning the nation is experiencing a bit of a political coming out of the closet moment right now for a significant number of african americans who are not only supporting republican candidates but also running on the Republican ticket. Are you guys getting? A little, are you guys enjoying your uh, red meat, right wing red meat show this morning? This is yes, <laughs> not your typical libertarian morning show, right? Of <laughs> the Republican red meat today. It's a long overdue reckoning of sorts uh, for the Democrats as blacks are reconsidering, if not outright abandoning the party in favor of the GOP. God bless America. Now, the shift has started, has been slowly and steadily starting to move. But in July of 2023, for instance, Georgia State Representative Maisha Maynard, she switched parties. She was a lifelong Democrat in a deep blue Atlanta district. She switched to the Republican Party, making her the first black woman ever to serve as a Republican in the Georgia General Assembly. God bless America. Mr. Wink. Uh, yeah, exciting. But uh, why? Why did she make this move, right? So as she herself wrote this last year in July, she says black children cannot read or perform simple math in marginalized communities. She says in my district, some of the stats show as little as two to three percent academic proficiency. Unbelievable. Another major change in uh, recent uh, months Last September of 2023, 
the mayor of Dallas, Texas, Eric Johnson, also migrated to the Republican Party. He wrote this. The future of America's great urban centers depends on the willingness of the nation's mayors to champion law and order and to practice fiscal conservative. God bless America. Can I get an amen? Be thankful to have 1,300 people watching live, which my friend Guilkas noted over in the Rumble comments. Do me a favor. It's your first time here. Don't be shy. We like to make friends and we're very positive, white pilled type of show here. So drop a comment and introduce yourself over in the live chat. We'd love to, to hear from you this morning. And while you're there, do me a favor. If you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please do so. We'd love for you to come back and make friends. We like to be on a first name basis with the people who are part of the community of this show. And I'm trying to build a, a healthy, positive, up, um, optimistic community so uh, that we can have a what I like to call special force. Forces, uh, fighting for liberty for our future. I am Austin Peterson, the host of the Wake Up America show, and I'm, I'm about to be a father for the very first time ever. Which I, I know I'm very excited for little baby P for liberty who will be joining us very soon. This July, I'm going to be a dad, uh, and I'm excited to build a community around this show, the Wake Up America show. So if you'd like to be a part of our little community, we are a fun bunch. Make sure you click like and subscribe to the channel and uh, come back and join us regularly. So continuing on the story, Democrats are not leading this charge against these um, the, the crime against the ballooning debt and the budgets of these small cities place and, and large cities, places like Chicago. But this Johnson and this Maynard characters, they made these switches to the Republican Party for pretty common sense reasons. I mean, law and order, fiscal conservatism and school choice. Uh, and they're not alone. Uh, Alabama, back in 2021, Kenneth Pascal became the first black Republican in 140 years elected to the Alabama House legislature. So this isn't just a one or two off thing. This is happening all across the country. Reasons to be optimistic, reasons to take the white pill. Pascal won his general election in House District 73. He defeated a Democratic uh, candidate and got 75 percent of the vote. Now, before Tim Scott was elected senator, he was elected congressman in the district that included Charleston back in 2011. Now, Senator Tim Scott is widely touted to be on the short list of Donald Trump's vice presidential picks. Now, why does this matter where Tim Scott was elected? Charleston was the first was where the first shots of the American Civil War were fired in 1861. So that's where Fort Sumter is. Now, 150 years later, Scott's victory was notable and that he beat out other Republican primary candidates, all white men within a predominantly white district to win the congressional seat. It was quite an accomplishment. Good morning, Jones Phones. Glad to have you here this morning. Welcome to the Wake Up America show. I love seeing all those new names and faces here joining us live. So although the actual numbers are small, just five GOP African-Americans, just three years ago, there was only one black Republican serving in the U.S. Congress. So we five X'd the number of black Republicans that we have in the U.S. Congress. This could be signs of a trend, right? Um, it's going to be exciting to see what happens with people like Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears of Virginia. There is a very strong bench. Byron Donalds of Florida. There is a very strong bench of black Republicans who are out there leading the charge and actively bringing over more 
uh, black Democrats to the Republican Party. It's not hard to see when you see the degeneracy of the policies of the left. For example, speaking of Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, I have this story from yesterday that's driving the left absolutely bonkers. I know I have the um, the video clip for, uh, here for you somewhere. Oh, yeah. So this is hilarious. So Virginia, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, um, I think, accidentally referred to a transgender state senator in Virginia. Uh, Danica Rome is their name as Sir. Uh, the can I say the dude? I guess I <laughs> So he stormed out of the room, and then the Senate went into two recesses. If you search this story online, you will find nothing but homosexual websites. Sorry, you know, I, I try and you know, homosexual websites that are just ripping Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears uh, to to pieces. Um, and then Sears came back out and said, I'm not here to upset anyone. I'm here to do the job that Virginia has called me to do. Now, the funny thing is, is that Sears is the first woman to serve as Lieutenant Governor of Virginia and Danica Rome, the Senator, the transgender Senator is a man, but guess which, I mean, black woman as Senator, you would think identity politics of the left, black woman, first woman to serve as Lieutenant Governor Aren't they going to identify with uh, Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears more? No, it's the transgender dude that the left identifies more with. <laughs> when it comes to the victimhood Olympics, you got to get this straight. So the victimhood Olympics, black woman is now behind transgender man. So if you're a white man who identifies as a woman, maybe you then the left is got your back. The left F's with you, okay? So, I, I know, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you want to see the video? You want to see the video? I know you do. I know you do. Like, like, and subscribe. Okay, sure. It's funny. This is like theater. Here we go. Get your popcorn out. <laughs> Senator May stated, then a president, how many votes will be, would it take uh, to pass this bill with the emergency clause? That would be four-fifths, Senator. And what would be the exact number for that, uh, Madam President? Yes, sir. That would be 32. Shall the bill pass? Those in favor of that motion will record their votes aye. Those opposed, no. Are the senators. There goes the dude. Of all the There he goes. I'm not here to upset anyone. I am here to do the job that the people of Virginia have called me to do, and that is to treat everyone with respect and dignity. I myself have at times not been afforded that same respect and dignity. And you never will, because you're a Republican lady. And as long as I am president of the Senate, and by the grace of God, I will be treated with respect and dignity, and I will treat everyone else with respect and dignity. Which I all, you know. That's Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears of Virginia. She's now again again raked over the coals by the left. They're attacking her uh, for uh, calling Danica Rome a he, it, which literally biologically is a he. Transgender Senator storms out of the chamber after being called Sir. Now, uh, initially, Earl, sir, you know, they, 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 Lieutenant Governor Sears refused to apologize, but then, like, you know, later made an apology that they're calling a semi-apology. They said it was never, she says, you know, it's never my intention uh, to make anyone offended. 
She says, I hope that others would not try to offend me as well. But if you go to like the blue websites, like blue Virginia, Lieutenant after Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears, misgender Senator offers non-apology apology. So it's, and then it's got all these Democrats all over this website that are just Virginia Dems, Virginia Dems. It's just like, oh, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Wake Up America show. Things do get a little bit weird this, <laughs> this every once in a while. Mock them mercilessly. That's what I say. Anyway, so uh, Winston Sears did uh, add later. She said that she apologized. I mean, but what are you going to do when you got this dude walking up? When you got somebody walking, she she wasn't looking at the, the transgender senator directly the entire time. So when you get this person who walks up to the microphone and is like, Hello, can I get a roll call vote? Like, what are you supposed to think if you're not looking and you're... Hello, can I, uh, I'm here to, uh, see, just, can we get a quorum, uh, vote on this point of order, right? And you're, and you're looking over here, and you're hearing this voice, uh, hello, you know, how in the hell are you supposed to know sometimes, right? The whole world has to accommodate you because you want to put, you're a man who wants to wear a dress and put on a wig and be called ma'am. It's ma'am, it's ma'am. <laughs> Uh, numbers continue to climb on the Wake Up America show. Guten Morgen, meine Damen und Herren. What have you walked in on? Well, it's the weirdest, uh, wildest, wettest, wackiest Wake Up America show in all of the country. There is apparently another Wake Up America show, but it's really like stuffy and everybody wears suits and ties and they sit on like comfy couches and you got like the blonde ladies with like the big like giant plumped up lips with Botox. There's no Botox on AP. I'm all natural, baby. Okay, maybe I dye my hair sometimes, but that's what can I say? I'm completely vain. <laughs> hey, at least I'm honest about my vice and sin. The Wake Up America show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, and we'll be glad to have you come back here and join us. So click like, subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content, because this is what we do every day, baby, all day, every day. Tomorrow is Wednesday, which means... Judge Anna Napolitano will be joining us for Big Brain Time on Wednesday. We always appreciate his regular uh, contributions. Today, I've got two special guests for their very first time appearing on the Wake Up America show. We're going to speak to my buddy Daniel McCarthy at 8 a.m. Central Time. Goes by the name of Tory Anarchist, which doesn't sound like a conservative name, but it actually is. He's way more conservative than I am, to be honest. I'm a radical, wacky libertarian, so, you know, kind of weird. <laughs> Well, we're going to hear from uh, we're going to hear from Daniel McCarthy this morning at 8 a.m. Central Time about this article that he wrote in The New York Post titled Don't Cheer the Spate of Media Layoffs. And then at 830 a.m. Central Time, we're going to talk about how trad wives killed the girl boss era with Inez Stepman. Anyway, so back to this story uh, about black Republicans <clears throat> uh, and this the new spate of black Republicans. Well, actually. Put a pause on that one. 1,500 people joining us. Wow, this is wild. The numbers continue to grow. Thank you, everyone. Glad to have you here. I have to say thank you to Mighty Megatron. He just dropped $2 uh, in the tip jar, and we're grateful for that, Mighty Megatron. That reminds me that I spent so much time working on this last night. It'd be a shame if you didn't get to see it. But I have produced for you a mini documentary today that is part of what I call my bonus segment that you can unlock by making Rumble Rant donations to the show. Uh, and since Mighty Megatron just chipped in $2, uh, we are $2 towards the $50 goal. If we raise $50, either in donations or in purchases from the AP for Liberty shop during the store, 
then you will unlock my new mini documentary today. This week's series is called Heroes of Liberty, and the Heroes of Liberty series uh, features some of the most influential people on liberty thought uh, in history. Yesterday's was about Ludwig von Mises, and today's, well, you'll have to unlock it to find out. So you can unlock this content in two ways. One, make a Rumble Rant donation, and if we receive $50 by the end of the show, you'll unlock that bonus content, that mini documentary. Uh, or you can go to apforlibertyshop.com, buy a couple boxes of Founding Flavors coffee, uh, maybe buy a new pair of Javier Malay shoes, which by the way, did you see my awesome new sneakers that I put out yesterday? They're selling like hotcakes. The Afuera Javier Malay, president of Argentina sneakers are now in the shop and on offer. You could buy one pair of sneakers today and that would unlock the bonus content. So visit ap4libertyshop.com and you can unlock that bonus content. Thank you very much. Okay, here we go. So back to the news. So when the new Congress convened uh, last year in January 2023, it included more black Republicans serving together on Capitol Hill since 1877. So we're talking about this trend of black Republicans, people of blacks who are leaving the Democratic Party and joining the Republican Party, running for office and getting elected. Um, now, so like uh, racial politics have been at the center of American dis uh, discussion uh, for since the beginning of the the foundation of the American Republic. The, the, the debate about slavery was happening during the Declaration of Independence, and there were debates about slavery before the Declaration of Independence here in the United States. Uh, but, you know, and we're still having this discussion. Racial politics are still front and center this year. But black Amer Americans are projected to vote Republican in the highest percentage in decades. Have you seen some of the new polling coming out showing <clears throat> the, the minority support for Donald Trump? It's not just black Americans. It's Hispanics as well. The <clears throat> historic uh, coalitions that the Democrats have been able to count on are slowly being eroded away as a massive realignment is occurring in American politics. And you love to see it. Now, the truth is that regardless of race, people all, all over the country have been migrating to Republican-led states for 160 years, and they continue to do so to this day. So listen to this. In 2022, the top five states that saw the most outbound migration were led by Democrats while the five states with the highest inbound migration were Republican-led. Now, this is a trend that has been going on for 160 years of outbound migration from Democrat states, inbound migration to Republican-led states. Now, what's the underlying motivator for this election year? Black Americans will hold Democrats responsible for several issues. One is that more black Americans are speaking up about illegal immigration that has been taking a toll on the urban centers across the country. Another major issue, and I know this will make Camelia happy, is education choice, right? For a majority of black Americans, they believe that Democrats are the cause of a lack of schooling options. And finally, and this might be the most important, high crime and defund the police initiatives are contributing to the African-American rightward push. Even Minneapolis, 
which was the epicenter of the defund the police movement during the George Floyd riots, they rejected a 2021 ballot reduction initiative as a result of black voters. Black voters were the ones who voted against reform that would have included defunding the police. This is great news. Now, for many historians, the migration of black Americans towards republicanism is not a surprise. Listen to this. This is an interesting bit of history. Between 1910 and 1970, there was what was uh, what has been called the Great Migration. Six million blacks fled Democrat-controlled southern states to Republican-led states in the North and the Northeast. So, of course, the electoral map has changed over time. Obviously, between 1910 and 2024, Republican-led states, this is why we can have see that there's this trend for 160 years, Democrat states outbound migration to Republican-led states, but of course, the Republican-led states have changed since 1910. But between 1910 and 1970, six million blacks fled Democrat-led Southern states to Republican-led states in the North and Northeast. Now, their improved circumstances when they got there is what affected their voting pattern. But in 1968, Richard Nixon won 32% of the black vote. But this year, it remains to be seen. Republicans have to convince voters, black, white, or other, that they can be trusted to relocate, that that Republican states can be trusted if they're going to relocate their families, businesses, and all their worldly possessions, that Republicans can be trusted their vote, which, you know... (laughs) If they accomplish that, you know, give the GOP maybe a B plus, you know, for their marketing or their branding. But why not an A, right? Well, it's because it took Republicans this long to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Evokes uh, asks a good question. He says, I hope more individual black voters wake up for their own sake. But why are they so obsessed with this block? Well, it's because it's a pretty significant voting block if you consider uh, voting trends. Uh, if you can win the black vote, that is enough to flip elections. A large en- enough percentage of the black vote in the United States will absolutely win you elections. So definitely something that needs to be discussed and analyzed. And I'm glad and thankful that Rumble.com has blessed me with featuring me on the front page today so that I can be introduced to 1,600 of you this morning. Good morning. Well, you guys are very lucky. Congratulations. Uh, We just unlocked the bonus content this morning. Thank you very much. Glad to have that uh, support. Uh, Somebody went over to ap4libertyshop.com this morning and they bought themselves a pair of sneakers and a box of coffee. Thank you, friends. Check out all of our awesome items over at ap4libertyshop.com. I'm going to queue you guys up with the bonus content this morning uh, so you can watch my new mini documentary. This series this week is called Heroes of Liberty from History. Uh, real quick, just an FYI, don't forget to check out ap4libertyshop.com. My brand new Javier Malay Afuera sneakers are in stock. The cool thing about these sneakers is that I'm able to brand them with my logo. Check it out. So you've got the sweet little USA AP logo in there. Aren't those handsome? 
Now the little corgi that you, the little corgi pup that you can see in this picture does not come with the shoes. I know you're disappointed, but they are in the beautiful blue colors of the Argentine flag. And you have the little Javier Malay on the sides where it says his famous catchphrase, afuera, afuera. So thank you to our friends who are visiting APForLibertyShop.com this morning. You are buying lots of coffee and buying lots of sneakers. You can get uh, Donald Trump sneakers as well over at APForLibertyShop.com. That's AP, the number four, APForLibertyShop.com. Did I have that on the uh, the coffee picture that whole time? Oops. Sorry, guys. Uh, Robbie figured out how to ran on his phone and he donated $5. Thank you. Wokos was asking if ordering uh, shoes or uh, APForLibertyShop.com merchandise counts. It absolutely does. So since someone just went ahead and purchased a pair of, sh of shoes, they bought the Venom Velocity Gadsden flag sneakers that I designed that has a little Don't Tread On Me snake on there. Uh, and they bought some uh, coffee this morning. So thank you for that. You've unlocked the bonus content. Thank you very much for that. Now enjoy your uh, mini documentary that I produced exclusively for you. Uh, at the Wake Up America show, our Heroes of Liberty series continues thanks to the generosity of the Wake Up America show donors. We'll be right back. Enjoy. Von Böhm-Babur, Hero of Liberty. In January 1914, Eugen von Böhm-Babur published articles in Vienna, warning of fiscal irresponsibility by the Austrian government, highlighting a 60% increase in government spending and consistent deficits due to special interest politics. Böhm-Bawerk criticized the government for squandering resources and borrowing heavily, fearing this would jeopardize the country's financial stability. He anticipated the financial ruin that would follow the outbreak of World War I, which began just months after his warnings. Böhm-Bawerk, a leading Austrian school economist, was born in 1851 and died in 1914, leaving a legacy praised by students and peers like Ludwig von Mises for his brilliance and integrity. Joseph Schumpeter also celebrated him as a brilliant scholar and a rare, effective finance minister who upheld sound financial principles against political pressures. Boehm Bauwerk's work laid the foundation for modern Austrian economics, especially his theories on capital, interest, value, and price. His life's work built upon Karl Menger's principles of economics, which introduced the subjective theory of value against the classical labor theory of value. Von Bawerk and Friedrich von Wieser, influenced by Menger, contributed significantly to expanding these ideas, with Von Bawerk becoming renowned for his writings on capital and interest during his tenure as a professor. His critical analyses in capital and interest dissected historical interest theories, showcasing his logical prowess and setting the stage for his own theories. In his positive theory of capital, Von Bawerk elaborated on marginal utility and price formation explaining the subjective valuation process and its role in the market. His theory emphasized the importance of roundabout methods in production for future gains, introducing a time element to production and investment. Von Bawerk's interest theory suggested that individuals value present goods over future goods, leading to the concept of time preference and the origin of interest rates. He famously refuted Marx's exploitation theory, arguing that profits in competitive markets are not exploitative, but rather compensation for the time and resources capitalists invest in production. Throughout his life, Von Bauwerk defended his theories against various critiques, solidifying his position as a key figure in economic thought and influencing future generations of economists. 
Welcome back to the Wake Up America show. Did you enjoy that little bit of bonus content? I know that's very big brain, high concept stuff, but I've made it my mission to introduce more people in this country to the ideas of liberty that have been influenced by some of the greatest heroes. Many of these are unsung heroes, and I'm just so thankful. Honestly, I know this isn't a popular thing to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I'm so thankful for artificial intelligence because without AI, I wouldn't be able to bring some of these figures to life because, listen, the left has got books by Ibram Kendi, anti-racist baby. They've got movies about Che Guevara starring Hollywood actors, but we have not seen the stories or heard the words of some of the greatest heroes of liberty told before in a way that is palatable to the mainstream. I'm taking these ideas of liberty and bringing them to the mainstream, baby. Can I get a hallelujah and an amen? How about a like and a subscribe to the channel? If you like that big brain stuff, you're in the right place. The Wake Up America show streams five days a week and we talk about big brain concepts. We give you the hottest news of the day. We educate, we inform, and we titillate. How dare oh. you? Oh, I know, social conservatives out there. Listen, if you have kids, the show I like to consider like a PG show. Every once in a while it gets a little PG-13, but I warn you, okay? And I cussing, swearing, very minimal. It does happen. And again, I usually warn you and sometimes I'll hit the button, okay? But just so you know, it is kids safe, appropriate for if you're listening uh, as you drive your kids to work in the morning. And what I do is I say, listen, I'm about to say a swear word, so turn the volume down. And that's the way that I do it, because I think that's a fun and friendly way to do it. We make it a friendly, family friendly show. You're hanging out with your kids in the morning and I'm excited because I'm about to be a father for the very first time. And I know I'm going to want to be able to listen to shows and, and podcasts while I'm driving my kid to school. Yes, baby. Yes, baby. Uh, I'll be excited to have a show that I could listen to that uh, that I don't have to worry about my kids listening to. We, we, you know, a show that will ensure that they don't end up communists. God bless America. God bless America. It's the Wake Up America show. We love America. Don't America we? is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him. Uh, put. How could we go wrong with 1,800 people watching, liking, subscribing, and joining us here on the chat? You can also send us a text. Let us know what's on your mind. See the little numbers right down there? 573-319-1586 is the phone line. Send us a text again. 573-319-1586. There you go. If you'd like to have your voice heard on the show, I will read your text on air. Uh, if you said this one, there we go. Glad to have you here. Okay, I have a lot of people here today. Wow, this is putting a lot of pressure on me. We've got about 15 minutes until we speak to the Tory anarchist. Daniel McCarthy is going to join us this morning at 8 a.m. Central Time. He wrote an article that yesterday just had me like... But he's a buddy of mine, so uh, I thought it would be good to have him on here to hash it out. His news article was, Don't cheer the spate of media layoffs. He says, newspapers are essential to our republic. He says, bad news for the media often feels like good news for conservatives. Yes, amen, duh. Uh, he says, so word that Vice and BuzzFeed are laying off hundreds of journalists weeks after the complete collapse of the messenger won't elicit much sympathy for the right. It's true. Yay. 
Excuse me. Uh, so when you see many of these leftist media organizations going out of business, most of us feel like good, learn how to code. And, you know, they're obviously they don't care about the uh, the plight of farmers. They don't care about the, the plight of miners. They don't care about the plight of uh, any institution or profession that is largely populated by blue collar Americans. So when journalists lose their job, is anybody going to feel bad for them? Uh, no, because the journalists typically are the enemy of the people and they hate us and wish that we were dead. But if we're going to have to live with with uh, them in society, obviously they're going to rule over all of us while we live in the pod and eat the bugs. No, God, please, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. Rare Camellia says, uh, where's my Women of Liberty series? You know what, Camellia, I think you just gave me my next idea. Don't let me forget that. Next, uh, Stephanie, let's put that in the lockbox for next week. Our Women of Liberty series. Brilliant idea, Camellia. Maybe we'll feature you. You'll be one of the top five. Uh, this week is Heroes of Liberty. Maybe next week, Women of Liberty. Maybe them are heroes. Uh, we're glad to have you here. If you have not hit the like button, please go do so, she says. I'd be very grateful. I know it's such a small thing, and it seems like an inconvenience to you, but it makes a huge difference in the life of me and my wife and the small community of Liberty lovers who support the Wake Up America show. Your one like will go to feed the, the, the starving babies, uh, the starving children. Uh, well, they're not going to be starving because I'll tell you this, Stephanie's boobs have just gotten gigantic, man. She's going to be... Mama. Babies are going to be well fed, I'll tell you that. Uh, it's been an exciting several months. Uh, we're at uh, AP for Liberty household. You know what I'm saying? I know, I know. I said PG-13, okay? Uh, what's the next news story here on the Wake Up America show? We've already done the Lake and Riley uh, uh, story. And, oh, you know what? Since I've got five minutes, this story really achieved my hide. Uh, this is in, from the Daily Mail. Here's the headline. I'm a U.S. expat, meaning, you know, that they've left the country for good. And I finally discovered why the rest of the world hates Americans. First of all, shut up. Uh, second of all, um, maybe she has some good points here because one of the points actually really stuck with me, uh, because we normally whenever by like, any European or, uh, or Eastern country, Eastern Western country, which I guess we call, we technically we call Australia and New Zealand and countries like that, the West, even though they're kind of East, right? Um, do we? How does that classification work? Anyway, I don't know. Well, an American expat in Australia says she's finally cracked the code about why everyone hates Americans. Uh, please, excuse me, I can't hear you over the sound of all my freedom. It's going to be America first, okay? America first. That's right. God bless America. Well, Tay Marin, she's lived down under for six years, and she says she's received a harsh reality check when she first moved away from home. She says... You have no idea how the world views us. Shut up, you obnoxious whiny brat. She says, we are not top dog. We are seen as loud and obnoxious. How dare you? First of all, shut up. And second of all, shut your face. Tay urged Americans to educate themselves about other countries and travel overseas if they can afford it. Okay. First of all, agree with that. Uh, it's a good idea if you can travel to see the world a little bit and see what it's like. I mean, hell, Ur's mommy in the chat, she got to meet with Vladimir Putin, for God's sakes. 
Last year, my wife Stephanie and I, we traveled to Japan, and that's the only international trip I've taken other than one trip to London. Uh, but I would like to see Germany. I would like to see Italy. I would like to see some of these European countries. I'd like to do France, Normandy. I kind of want to do like a World War II tour, right? See the beaches of Normandy, go to Paris, uh, Berlin, right? Go to uh, Munich, right? Have a little bit of a putsch. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> now, Mighty Megatron says that she's not totally wrong. There are people that hate us. That is true. Uh, but, uh, sometimes it's for a dumb reason. Sometimes it might be for a good reason, but here's what she says. Please get educated on the rest of the world. The whole world is not the USA. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that shirt from the Simpsons where it shows, uh, uncle Sam and he's like taking a bite out of the world and, uh, uh underneath it says, just try and stop us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she says, there's so much more out there and it's so beautiful. I know not everyone is able to travel like me. I'm very lucky for that. Exactly. Thank you. She says that um, she explained that the people view outside the country, view the United States the way that the U.S. views Florida. Oh, okay. So freaking awesome. Make America Florida again. First of all, I love Florida and would love to have a second home in Florida if I could afford it, but uh, I can't do that because I'm a poor podcaster. She says, we're seen as some pretty crazy people. Okay, that's awesome. You know how everyone from the U.S. thinks everyone from Florida is crazy? Yeah, but like not necessarily in a bad way, right? All, not all, every Florida man is all methed up. Sometimes they're riding alligators and doing other crazy fun stuff. She says, that's how the world feels about us. Okay, first of all, shut up. Second of all, shut your face. And third of all, shut the up do not get me started on guns oh shut up number four shut up you boo boo this woman started on guns first of all uh the last thing any american should ever care about is a foreigner's opinion about guns boo boo Please, frankly, no. Americans no. are sick and tired of having to bail out anti-gun European nations who don't have the wherewithal to arm themselves. Look at the citizens of Ukraine. Imagine if they had been armed to the teeth like Americans were. Do you think Vladimir Putin could have marched into that country and taken it over as he has and will eventually will if every Ukrainian citizen had already been armed to the teeth like Americans are? There are more guns in this country than there are people, and that's what makes America great again, baby. God bless the United States. Yes. It's going to be America first. Okay. Yep. Build that wall. First. Build that wall. 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 Bruce Burtwistle says Florida is so bad that Canadians flock there all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Them snow geese. <laughs> Heading south, Bitchmobile says Florida women ride gators too. <laughs> are we enjoying ourselves this morning? I think we are. It looks like almost 2,000 people are joining us live. They've tuned into the Wake Up America show. Things have gotten a little weird, but we're glad to have you here, and we'd love to make your acquaintance. We consider ourselves a small but merry band of rogues, of freedom fighters, lovers of liberty. We love our country, we love economic freedom, and we love personal liberty. So if you're one of us, then hit that like button, and if you're a weirdo, subscribe to the channel. We like them wet, wacky, wild, and weird. It's the Wake Up America show, and I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Now, listen, I gotta go to a very brief little commercial break, but I'll tell you why. I know you're gonna roll your eyes 
and be like, no, stupid commercials because you hate like TV. But just so you know, like every commercial that you see, I produced myself. Okay. So I tried to make them fun and funny. And the reason I play commercials is not just because I'm a greedy capitalist, which I totally am, right? Yes, Greta Thunberg, a greedy capitalist. I am, but it's because uh, I don't have a producer on this show. I have, I'm um, a man all alone in a studio by myself with cameras and a ring light that my wife bought like seven years ago for 150 bucks. And she's very proud that she gets to light my show here in this studio. So uh, it's a one man operation here on the show. So what I do is I go and I play a little commercial for you. And then I go get our friend who's waiting in the wings and I bring them into the set so that you can enjoy the interview. Uh, five, less than five minutes from now, we're going to hear from Daniel McCarthy. He's the Tory anarchist about why we shouldn't celebrate when left leftist media organizations get shut down and they lose their jobs. I say boo, sir. Boo to you. But we'll hear from him, his take on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Good morning, Rise in Freedom. Thanks for sticking around through that commercial break. I appreciate that very much. Gives me a little time to get the guest on stage. And I'm really excited to speak to my next guest. I haven't talked to him in a few years. His name is Daniel McCarthy. He's joining us this morning. Uh, he is the editor of the Modern Age Journal and a columnist for The Spectator. I read his article yesterday in the New York Post and it really got my eyebrows raised. Uh, Daniel McCarthy joining us live this morning right now. Good morning, Daniel. We're glad to have you here today. Thanks, Austin. It's a delight to join you. Uh, I have to say I was a, a little bit triggered by your article that I read yesterday, Daniel. Uh, I tend to agree with most things that you say, but your article in the New York Post, when I saw it was your byline, and I, had, I was like, I have to reach out to you. You said, don't cheer the spate of media layoffs newspapers are essential to our republic okay the second part it's hard to disagree with you from broad strokes but we're talking about vice news we're talking about we're talking about people that hate us and want us dead or at least they'd rather have us living in pods and eating the bugs daniel come on what's what's your premise here yeah, so there have been a huge number of layoffs uh, in the media in the past few weeks here. We've had uh, both BuzzFeed and Vice have announced uh, layoffs uh, amounting to hundreds of journalists. You've also had uh, downsizing at the Los Angeles Times, a number of buyouts at the um, Washington Post. Uh, a relatively new startup publication called uh, The Messenger, which launched last year, uh, you know, collapsed almost you know off the launch pad. It just became a disaster. And um, so a lot of journalists have been, you know, thrown out of work and uh, they are, uh, you know, very unhappy right now. And, you know, I point out in my column why most of these online ventures that have uh, failed uh, were really doomed from the beginning. Uh, and they aggravated themselves. They aggravated their condition. They, they hastened their own demise with the left wing politics they adopted. And um, that certainly did not help them. Um, I would say two things, though. First of all, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you can criticize these outlets and actually be glad that these outlets in some cases uh, don't exist or are in a state of rapid decay um, without necessarily, you know, also uh, losing sight of the human dimension here. And there always there actually have been good people at each of these institutions. I, I know a couple of uh, folks who work for Vice, for example. Uh, there is a, a British thinker who was uh, working for Vice, who's now at Unheard, who's really very good indeed. Uh, Aris Rusinis, uh, I think, is his, uh, the way his name, name is pronounced. There's also, uh, you know, uh, my friend Chris Moody did some work at Vice as well. So there have been some good journalists working at these institutions. 
Um, so I would think about, you know, the good people as well as the people who are terrible. Uh, even the terrible people, you know, I feel a small degree of compassion for uh, what they're going through. But the more important part of my column is the one that you alluded to, which is that traditional newspapers actually do have a small R Republican function in our country. And uh, we should be more concerned about uh, the plight of those uh, papers as local institutions and the loss of local identity that the you know uh, weakness of those papers indicates. We, the way that I see it, Daniel, is that the reason why so many of these specifically leftist institutions uh, are failing is because they're more ideology than they are business and that they're not adapting for the digital age that we live in right now. Most people aren't going to read uh, a newspaper in the traditional sense, but we are going to read something on our iPad or our Kindle or Fire Reader or what have you. So the issue is, Daniel, is that when, you, when you're a communist or you're a leftist, you sort of you know, you sort of divorced yourself from from this concept of how to run a business properly. And the people who are the head of these institutions are more ideologues than they are business people. I mean, Jeff Bezos, for example, he doesn't want to continue to lose money at the Washington Post. These institutions need to be run like the businesses that they are. I mean, there are nonprofits that operate. And certainly you and I, we've worked at some of these institutions. So we know that they, they operate on donor money. But like The Guardian, for example, I mean, what is the real readership of The Guardian? It's it's a, like a few thousand people. But what it exists, what, at the at the behest of, you know, major institutional backers who are pushing an ideology. And listen, I, I, as much as I appreciate things like Reason Magazine and, and others, because they, they produce periodicals that uh, align with my point of view, I think these institutions ought to run on a capitalist mentality and a framework. And if they did, they'd probably be a little bit more like the, the Wall Street Journal versus uh, you know the Washington Post or others. I mean, they should have to conform to the expectations of the modern er era, shouldn't they? They can try. I think the business models are so poor right now that uh, the possibility of running a true for-profit capitalist you know, newspaper or magazine is uh, pretty bleak. It just isn't uh, you know, very cost-effective to have these things exist at all. Oddly enough, some of the exceptions to that rule, some of the ones that do seem to be making it, um, aren't necessarily uh, free market in their ideology and philosophy. So, for example, a, a new web publication called Compact was launched by Saurabh Amari and Matthew Schmitz and others about two or three years ago. And uh, it actually is for profit. It, it is unlike all the nonprofits that are mostly out there in that space. It seems to be doing pretty well uh, through subscriptions. And um, it is, uh, you know, uh, quite critical of capitalism. But uh, it is uh, ironically a for profit institution. And people are, you know, paying and paying, you know, pretty high subscription fees in order to keep it going. So I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, future of media looks like, but I will say it's very expensive to run publications. And uh, you know, frankly, the amount of market demand for them is quite low. So one question that I think a lot of publications are trying to face now is, do we sell to a much smaller market? Do we have a uh, you know lower readership, but charge a lot more money? And so you're seeing a lot of institutions, uh, the Wall Street Journal among them, Wall Street Journal is still one of the titans of the newspaper industry. And uh, the journal's prices are going up and up. They are skyrocketing as a result of Biden inflation, but also uh, because I think they, even the Wall Street Journal recognizes that in the long run, uh, they're not going get, to get by on advertising. They actually need to make money through um, subscriptions and uh, pricing those subscriptions, uh, whatever it will take in order to be, remain profitable.
This is just my experience. I do think that it is going to be more important for publishers and for journalists to niche down. And many of these journalists who operate independently, like Matt Taibbi and others, they uh, Barry Weiss, they do very well by uh, running a subscription model off of Substack, for example. And and I think that that gets to my next point here that I'd like to to have you speak to. Uh, having worked at major news media corporations and at smaller institutions and having run my own institution media company for a number of years, the the biggest problem that I have noticed with many of these institutions, the bigger ones, is, of course, that they get so big, you know, they're not too big to fail, but they get so big that they're unwieldy and they are resistant to change. Uh, and, you know, as someone who's a former broadcaster, I can tell you that the broadcast industry was very resistant and still is to the kinds of, of changes that would actually produce a more lucrative business model that I've I mean, I'm literally demonstrating right now with this show uh, as a, what I call a solopreneur, right? I've created a, 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 finan- a, a semi-lucrative business model here because uh, I'm, a, as a solo person, able to change more rapidly in order to meet the needs of the market. I've integrated artificial intelligence uh, to, a, to the maximum degree in this institution. But when I was working for broadcast agencies and corporations, they look at new technology like social media, uh, or they look at podcasts like this, uh, or they look at um, uh, digital subscriptions. They, they look at that as like, no, 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 we need to continue our traditional business model. They're very resistant to change. And I mean, eventually, Daniel, they should have to, they should have to suffer the consequences of their poor financial decisions. Don't you agree? Yeah. And in fact, they are suffering consequences, uh, you know, right now. And it's only going to accumulate and become uh, all the more severe on them. Um, in addition, you have not just you know these older titans of the media, which are very reluctant to change, and uh, in many cases are bureaucratically and ideologically incapable of changing. You also have some of these newer institutions, like the one I discuss, the ones I discuss in my column, which um, very quickly grow to an unsustainable size because they're basically ripping off their own investors. They are telling their investors that, hey, we've had double digit growth over the past, you know, a couple of years with, uh, you know, our, our, you know, flashy startup of, you know, BuzzFeed or what have you. Please keep pouring money into us. We're going to keep expanding. We're going to keep those growth rates going. Of course, they know what they're promising is actually completely unsustainable. So what happens is the, the people who start these publications often get quite rich as a result of it. And it's their investors and also their employees who wind up suffering because their employees uh, are oftentimes journalists who are not very good business people. And so they go to work for an institution like The Messenger, for example, last year. And when The Messenger debuted, I'm sure you've never heard of The Messenger. Virtually no one has ever heard of this website called The Messenger. And there's a reason for that, because it was a very dumb idea from the very beginning. The Messenger was basically, it was going to be yet another you know, Politico clone or yet another Huffington Post clone. It was just going to be a generic news website on a very large scale. In order to lure talent, it was paying multiples of what people were earning at other institutions. So it was paying two to three times uh, the salaries people were getting at established media outlets. So it was able to hire a lot of people, but it never made any business sense. There was never this idea, what is the messenger delivering? What is it selling that you can't already get elsewhere? Um, I think you know, anyone with, a, with, a, with an iota of business sense would look at this you know, new institution, this new publication, and say, this is going to fail, and it's going to fail very quickly, because this is just going to burn through all the investor money that's been pumped into it. Well, that's exactly what happened. It lasted you know, a year or less. And uh, you know, there are a lot of journalists who are you know, uh, now uh, out on the street as a result. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of their friends are saying, oh, this is really cruel what's happened to them. It's terrible what their owners did to them. But, you know, frankly, the owners, you know, they were irresponsible. But any journalist who signed up to go work for The Messenger should have known this was a totally unsustainable project. This was a project that had no reason for existing. And sure enough, it no longer exists. Well, there is that uh, that uh, topic of niching down that we're talking about right there. If you I, the few times that I've created something generic in order to try and appeal to universality and, and a wider audience, those those institutions, small institutions or intellectual properties that I have universally have collapsed. But the more I've niched down to serve a smaller audience uh, and created more of a personal relationship with my subscribers and with the people who tune into my podcasts, the more popular and successful I've, I've been. As a matter of fact, 1,600 people are watching us live right now here on the Wake Up America show. And I want to say thank you to the audience for that. Certainly, we've had great success with this new platform, Rumble.com, which is not engaged in suppression of uh, against conservative and libertarian ideals like those you and I represent. I'm speaking to Daniel McCarthy right now. He is a columnist for The Spectator and the editor of The Modern Age Journal. If you're enjoying this content, like my friend Matt Unruh over in the Rumble chat just said, he is enjoying very much, then do us a favor, click like and subscribe to the channel and come back here and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. So I'm just being a good capitalist here on my media venture Daniel, but um, you know, I I just uh, whenever I hear or listen to our friend Michael Malice talking about the corporate press being the enemy of the people, I feel a little cheer inside. When I when I um, when I hear see people losing their jobs and the the learn to code, I, I think turnabout is fair play. I mean, these are like I said earlier, people who hate us and want us dead to an extent. Here's here's my conspiracy theory, uh, Daniel. As someone who's worked in this business now for a long time, and certainly you've worked, been here much longer and worked at far more prestigious organizations, um, is that I believe that there has been a concerted effort to suppress voices like ours and to suppress journalistic outlets like ours. And the reason why I believe that uh, I have several points I could make, but the big picture stuff would be back in 2013, for example, there was a giant algorithmic crunch online that destroyed the revenue stream that was headed towards small publishers like myself uh, and, and to new alternative institutions like the Daily Wire, which had been springing up because at the time, um, Facebook had a trending bar that showed which stories were the biggest stories on Facebook. And of course, it was constantly things like Dan Bongino, Fox News, Ben Shapiro and others. They got rid of that because Silicon Valley was so triggered by the fact that our message was quite popular. And I, I think it still remains popular. But as we've seen through the um, the Twitter file drops when Elon Musk took over uh, Twitter and now rebranded to X, Daniel, uh, the government acted in concert with these social media institutions to silence voices like ours. So I, forgive me if I can't join you in sort of, you know, holding your conservative view of, of these institutions. I find myself to be more of a radical revolutionary, throw the table over uh, BuzzFeed and Vice. Sure, there are some good people in the wake, but as great Karl Marx once famously said, if you want to make an omelet, you've got to, you've got to break a few eggs. Uh, I don't want these people to lose their, their jobs, at least not the people who are ideologically aligned with us. But these people have declared war against us, Daniel. They are fighting uh, uh, an asymmetric conflict against us. They own the battlegrounds. 
They own the institutions. If it weren't for Rumble.com right now, 1,400 people would not be listening to our voices, Daniel. So, I mean, uh, in some sense, this is war, is it not? Well, I agree. A lot of these institutions are thoroughly corrupt and they are, you know, absolutely root and branch against us. Uh, one of the things I point out in my column, by the way, is that many of these institutions actually start out and they try to instrumentalize freedom and they try to be, uh, you know, a kind of Wild West environment in a good way in order to bring in the maximum number of readers, the maximum number of really talented contributors. And then once they've built up enough scale, what do they do? They they suddenly impose uh, incredible ideological restrictions on who can participate on their platforms, who can be you know hired by their institutions. Uh, they close the doors once they think they've built up enough of an audience. And then, of course, they do exactly what you've said, which is they try to silence anyone who's outside of their doors and maintain total control over the environment that they've now uh, taken control over or that they've been able to uh, sort of uh, corral and establish, you know, a kind of rentier uh, um, level of authority over. So think about, you know, some of these uh, platforms like Facebook and uh, YouTube, for example. I remember the early days, I'm sure as you do too, of Facebook and, and uh, YouTube. It used to be that almost anything goes. They did not have, you know, strong political restrictions. They, in fact, you know, they were places where you could find the kind of philosophical niches that nowadays you have to go onto Substack and other uh, outlets in order to find. It used to be that, you know, Facebook would allow you to post, you know, what you actually believed. And that was true for millions and millions of people who decided to participate in Facebook because it had this degree of freedom. And then, of course, once it became large enough, it became infiltrated by a number of uh, left wingers with a commissar mentality. And they started saying, oh, this is terrible. You have, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro or other Daily Wire people who are, you know, getting the most stories out there on Facebook. You have uh, Austin Peterson is getting attention on Facebook. You have all sorts of people who are not approved of who are doing very well. And then uh, conversely, of course, you know, the Hillary Clinton team and others are not getting the amount of attention that uh, the commissars would like them to get. And so the commissars decide, well, we're just going to, you know, change the algorithm. We're going to shut down and actually demonetize uh, a number of people on YouTube and other outlets. And we're going to try to control the discourse by, you know, having done basically a bait and switch. We bring people in with the promise of freedom to YouTube and Facebook, and then we wind up uh, yanking that away from them establishing our own uh, dominance and our own censorship regime. And then we think we're going to hold on to the public while, you know, also squashing our enemies and denying them free speech. This is a great conversation. I think we could probably have a whole, you know, three hour panel discussion on something like this. Uh, unfortunately, I've got another spectator author who's waiting in the wings. Um, we're going to speak to Inez Stepman here in about 10 minutes about how trad wives have killed the girl bosses. Uh, and I've really, and speaking of media institutions, I've really been enjoying what The Spectator has been putting out these days lately. But I'm also really interested, Daniel, in your uh, institution, Modern Age Journal, which I was not aware of until a few days ago. I'm following it now over at x.com, at Mod Age Journal. Uh, tell us a little bit about this institution. Are you niching down, Daniel? In a way, we are. Now, Modern Age is actually a survivor from the 1950s. It was founded by Russell Kirk, who was the conservative who wrote The Conservative Mind in 1953. Modern Age was a quarterly journal that he launched in 1957 with Henry Regnery, and it's been continuously in print uh, since then. And it's a journal which has often featured some of the best conversations between the smartest libertarians and conservatives, for example. So it's a place where you've seen people like Frank Meyer and Murray Rothbard 
debate the principles of fusionism and, uh, you know, take up their disputes with people like uh, uh, Robert Nisbet and Russell Kirk and others. And so it's been a, a lively journal for, uh, you know, well over 60 years now. And uh, we are launching a new website for it uh, in about the next uh, two weeks here. And it's so modernagejournal.com, which presently leads you to uh, basically one article a week, will instead take you to a new site that'll have daily content. And uh, it is, you know, uh, directed specifically at uh, intelligent libertarians, conservatives, people on the right, people who are definitely against the left. And uh, I think uh, listeners to this program and watchers of this program will enjoy it a great deal. That's exactly what I was going to say. If you've enjoyed this conversation between myself and Daniel McCarthy, I highly recommend that you follow him over at X.com. He's been so generous with his time and sharing his thoughts with us this morning. Do me a favor, head over to X.com and follow him at Tory Anarchist. Uh, I wish that I had time to have him give you a thorough explanation of what a Tory anarchist was. I've got a million questions to ask him about Donald Trump's new populist coalition. I'd love to talk to him about Javier Malay, but that just means I'm going to have to have him back another time because we've got to keep moving. Uh, Daniel, anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we go? No, I just think these are very exciting times. I'm glad your show is here to cover them. I think, uh, you know, seeing Trump and Malay interact with one another at CPAC was a bit of a video that uh, circulated there. Uh, was really, uh, you know, a sort of triumph of the Murray Rothbard spirit. So I think the uh, the next several years are going to be very interesting indeed. Yes. The more I learn about Murray Rothbard, the more I think that he definitely, we are definitely living in Rothbardian times to a certain extent, Daniel. We'll have to have another conversation about that soon. Make sure that you follow Daniel over at x.com. We know it's called Twitter at Tory Anarchist. That's T-O-R-Y, Tory Anarchist. Hey, Daniel, thanks so much for writing this article and for this conversation and being generous with your time. We look forward to having you again real soon. Thanks, Austin. Thank you very much. That's Daniel McCarthy. Can we get a round of applause? Great conversation, right? Now, of all the 1,300 people who are watching this morning, I imagine that 1,100 of you are watching us for the very first time. And if that's the case, and you like these conversations, you don't get to hear those anywhere else. Why don't you click that subscribe button on the channel right now so that you can come back and join us. This show is not just a one-off. We stream this baby five days a week, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. It's a great schedule and it's a great way to start your day in the morning, getting informed about all the news that's happening and goofing around a little bit as well. You like to get your news and a little bit of fun, then the Wake Up America show is the right place. I'm your host, Austin Peterson, and I'm glad and excited to have you here and I'd love to earn your like and subscribe. Uh, and I'm really excited to have my next guest on here in about five minutes. We're going to speak to Inez Stepman. She wrote an article that caught my attention in The Spectator as well about how trad wives killed the girl boss age. This is a, a really fun story. Inez Stepman wrote this piece um, about a week ago. Uh, and let me read to you the first, uh, first paragraph of it just because it's so fun. She says, the trad wife smiles as she feeds her sourdough starter wearing a long dress and a baby and wrangling the occasional toddler underfoot. <laughs> she beams at her husband as he comes in from a long day on the ranch or from the hedge fund trenches. Uh, she makes salt dough modeling clay for the little ones, whether her stove is from Lowe's or La Cornue. The cut describes her Instagram account as both dangerous and stupid. CNN experts lament that too many girls are turning to her as a, quote, band-aid with ideological cover, and they fret about the sourdough starter 
to white supremacy pipelines. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and uh, Stradwives, both self-identified and smacked with ad admiring or hostile labels, are the latest cultural phenomenon in the media crosshairs. I say go, Tradwives. Then are some of these Tradwives really LARPing? That's live action role playing for people who aren't the RPG nerds. Uh, or is the expectations that many of these Tradwife influencers setting up for women unrealistic and in fact could be hostile to their mental health? And also, are many of these Tradwives really just doing a little bit of bouncing for the camera in order to get more attention so they can get more views than the Wake Up America show with Elson Peterson? Now, listen, I'm not a social conservative, so bounce per more bounce per ounce. I, you know, it doesn't bother me, right? Uh, me likey. But uh, as a father so to be, soon to be a dad, I can, can say now that I can weigh in on this topic with aplomb. But I think I'd rather hear it from the horse's mouth. Inez Stepman will be joining us here in less than five. Don't go away. I'm going to play for you our, my, again, the bonus content which is a little mini documentary that I produced for you today about one of the greatest heroes of liberty who pioneered economic thought in Austria and the United States. We're still feeling his reverberations from his thoughts today. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning. Welcome back. It's time to rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and thankful to have you here. And we're very grateful to Rumble.com for featuring us on the front page today so we could get introduced to all you thousands of lovely people. I'm thankful to have you here as well. Do me a quick favor, will you click that like button and subscribe to the channel. We just had a great conversation with Daniel McCarthy about his article about all of the news media institutions that are dying. In the new age, in the new media economy, more and more people are setting themselves up as influencers online and well you know guilty as charged it's not a bad way to make a living but i think i'll probably never be as exciting as the ladies online who are at the head of a new trend called trad wives they called themselves girl bosses five to ten years ago many of them have had a change of heart and they a change of well it's the same career but it's a little bit of a different aesthetic is that what they're calling it these days anyways i'm not an expert on it but i know somebody who is she is a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. Her name is Inez Stepman, and she's going to fill us in on Tradwifery this morning. She's joining us live. Good morning, Inez. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. We're glad and thankful to have you here, Inez. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, for those who might be tuning in for the first time and don't know much about Tradwives, we do talk about them uh, quite frequently, but would you just kind of give us the, uh, the dictionary definition? What is a Tradwife? Um, sure. And it's it's not necessarily a very new trend. It's been, it's been around for a number of years now, but it, it's just um, think about any social media online influencer you say uh, you, you can think of, um, except these women tend to be focused on uh, keeping a home. Uh, often they have they have kids, sometimes a large number of kids, and they're they're focused on essentially creating content around um, hearth and home. Right. Uh, being being wives, being mothers. Oftentimes they're baking stuff from scratch uh, and they've come under. I would say an unusual amount of criticism and hatred in a way that, you know, 
people who go, who, who influence on any number of things. Of course, there's a, an element of fakery to all of social media, um, but the trad wives seem to have really set off people. There are all kinds of think pieces about how dangerous they are. There's a sourdough to white supremacy pipeline, right? Um, they're just they 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 tend to inspire, in my view, hatred that is wholly undeserved in comparison to the rest of the social media ecosystem. Now, you write in your article that the justification that is offered for this rage is that they make the expensive and difficult look easy and natural, setting up impossible expectations. Now, recently I saw um, a, a woman on Twitter who was saying that, uh, you know, I th think she's on another fellow at the Claremont Institute, but she was saying that it's probably bad for young women's mental health to see such idealistic women who are, and this woman that we're discussing here in just a moment, who has a, a massive Instagram account, she is the daughter of, or the heiress of an airplane fortune. She sells soap on her shop for $22. Her sourdough starter kit is like $98 to start. So it can be damaging to young women's self-esteem to see someone living such a, a, a lifestyle that they may never attain. Isn't that true though? Um, I, I think that's true, but that's equally true about every other thing that we see online. Uh, and my question is why why this ideal is receiving so much hatred? I, I think um, that some of the ladies on the right who have criticized it, I, frankly, I think they just come from a a uh, very different culture than the average random like viewer on Instagram. And I think maybe in a, a super Christian, super conservative culture, there is an element of unattainability and damage uh, to seeing some of these women. And perhaps like it's not good for young girls to see anything on Instagram, including, you know, girls in Capri and bikinis and the, on yachts. Right. Um, but I, I do think that the disproportionate pushback again against these trad wives has more to do with the fact that they make the home life or or the stay-at-home mother life look glamorous by virtue of being beautiful, by virtue of, of course, showing the most aesthetic and, and beautiful parts of their lives. Um, I, I think that people are worried that, that they will make this life look as appealing to young women as the girl boss grind did 10 years ago, or, you know, I, I really, so this, this, um, the one you referenced, Hannah Nealman, um, she runs this account, Ballerina Farms. Yes, she's extremely wealthy. And what they've parlayed that wealth and her beauty into is this farm with a lot of kids where they can essentially live a homestead lifestyle. Um, nobody would be complaining if she were using instead her beauty and her you know tenacity that she clearly has um, and her ballerina training, by the way, from Juilliard uh, to become, uh, a, for example, a dancer um, with the New York Ballet. Nobody would be complaining that she was setting up an unrealistic standard, even though that would be just as unrealistic to, to most of us. Right. Um, so the question is not whether it's realistic or not. All of social media is to some extent fake. The question is, and by the way, people know it's fake, right? Um, sometimes it's a problem with very young girls, but for the most part, for sure, adults following these kinds of accounts, they know that uh, these women also have probably hired people to scrub, scrub, uh, scrub their toilets, right? And, and the less pleasant aesthetic parts of keeping a home. Uh, they know that. But the, the question is, which ideal is being pursued? And I think the a lot of the criticism against the trad wives is that they have chosen this ideal versus any other thing that they could do and make glamorous online. 
Yes, and uh, you speak a lot about fakery in this piece, and and as you've mentioned it this morning, uh, the Rumble chat has definitely caught on to that. My lovely wife, Stephanie, uh, over in the chat says, the housewife life is glamorous, I agree. And Rare Camellia says, most of us are like, show me your canning shells in order to prove you're a real child. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we'll meet those uh, expectations, um, but I like what you've written here when you say it's not the fact that Tradwife accounts are presenting an aspirational vision, most influencer accounts do, but exactly what they and they, their followers consider aspirational that is causing the backlash. What is it that they're really mad about, Inez? Look, uh, I can give a really direct example. Uh, in the 2000s and 2010s, there was a huge rockabilly craze, right? That had a lot of, to some extent, superficially similar aesthetics, right? A lot of throwback 1950s poodle skirts, right? Um, you know, bouffant hairdos. This is some of the the trad wife accounts really do seem to be LARPing from the 1950s. Um, not Ballerina Farms, by the way, but some of these accounts do seem to be LARPing from, from the 1950s. Those Rockabilly accounts and and uh, that entire subculture did not come under fire because they explicitly disavowed the values of the 1950s. Right? They were they explicitly upfront said, "We just love this vintage look. Um, it's pure aesthetics for us. We in no way endorse, for example, the sex relations within marriage in the 1950s." Some of the trad wives are not doing that. Right? They're actually saying, "No, I want to live my life." in a much more traditional relationship with my husband. I want to show um, an idealized 1950s sort of family life. And they're actually endorsing that. And I think that's why people are getting angry because it's so contrary to what the rest of the culture tells young women that they should want or should idealize. Um, again, it's not about the idealization because everything Every like account, every subculture on the internet that you can follow idealizes something, and most of them don't come under this kind of scrutiny or fire. Now, it's true that like there's plenty to criticize about certain of these accounts. Like some of them are just one step from OnlyFans. They're obviously selling like sort of a subservient female package to uh, horny young men, uh, and that's the primary. Like these these some of these accounts, their husbands never show up. These like fictional husbands, right? It's only the women. Um, and they are, even though they're dressed, quote unquote, trad, they're dressed provocatively, whether that's like tight uh, or moving their bodies in a certain way as they're, you know, stirring the pie, uh, pie crust or whatever it is. There's obviously this kind of sexualized element to it, and it's easy to make fun of. Um, but to my mind, it's not, I mean, there's 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 so much silly content on on Instagram and TikTok, right? It's, it's it, I mean, it's a target rich environment if you want to make fun of some things. My question is less are there some ridiculous accounts? Of course there are in this subculture. Then why are, you know, CNN and MSNBC and The Cut freaking out over the fact that, um, you know, a not small number, especially of Gen Z girls are are following some of these trad wife accounts and appreciating the aesthetic and the lifestyle and, and that particular ideal. And I think that does go a lot to what values we want as particularly young women to have and the horror of older generations when they realize that there might be some sub part of Gen Z that maybe doesn't want to follow millennials, my generation, into the girl boss of grind, right? Doesn't want to follow uh, into keep spending their 20s and eat, pray, love and like, you know, getting stressed out in their mid 30s because they haven't found a husband yet, right? Um, maybe they don't want to make those mistakes. Maybe they're looking at uh, the mistakes of the previous generations and, and at least some sub portion of them. I think statistics show that this is not a general Gen Z position. In fact, they're running the opposite direction. But there is a reaction among the minority of younger women saying, you know what, that's that's not for me. That girl boss vision is not my ideal. 
Um, it looks something more like ballerina farms. That's the ideal that I'm going to strive for. And I think there's like a, a terror, like a palpable terror among particularly women in my generation and then older Gen X and boomers that, you know, maybe some maybe some young women will not follow uh, what a lot of women, I think, secretly regret sacrificing their lives for. For sure. Uh, one of my favorite memes, is, you know, I got married a, a few years ago and I'm getting ready to have my first child, but I am going to be a bit of an older dad. Uh, so I did get to experience a little bit of that dating life during the Tinder years and Bumble, et cetera. Uh, and, and I like the meme that says, says um, people who just got married must feel like they got the last helicopter out of Vietnam, like the last helicopter out of Saigon because of how horrible the dating scene has become. And I want to talk to you about this. I can tell that you're the master of saying a lot in only a few sentences, Inez. So I want to read from a few of the sentences here from your article. But let me just very briefly, for those who might just be tuning into the show and wondering um, what we're talking about and who we are, I'm Austin Peterson. You're listening to the Wake Up America show. And my guest is Inez Stepman. She is uh, a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. And we're discussing her article over at The Spectator that's titled How the Trad Wife Killed the Girl Boss Age. Uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, trad wives uh, influencers online and why there's been such a negative backlash to it. I really like this uh, segment that you were talking about in regards to the sexual revolution uh, and how dating has changed. You say um, plunging family size means fewer sibling as well. Uh, you also say that um, oh, I lost my spot here. Hold on just one second. Oh, oh, oh. Um, having life in a traditional home really seems impossible. That one of the reasons why we might be idealizing the trad wifery is because, you know, as Elizabeth Warren has, you know, rightfully complained, as you noted that before she got very annoying, that we used to in this country be able to afford to have a traditional lifestyle at home. It, you didn't used to have two incomes to be able to raise a child. Um, and part of that is because liver, living standards have increased and we have new technology and they're new, and our homes are more expensive because we have new types of uh, installations that go into homes that didn't exist in the 1950s. But there has been a severe change to the negative side of the economy that has, made, that has demanded that women get into the workforce. So there's a bit of a longing for, or, or a nostalgia that almost can't exist because of the new economy. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think both culturally and economically, this lifestyle, one of the more legitimate reasons why people are getting angry at some of these trad wife accounts um, is that both economically and culturally, this ideal seems like it's coming from the moon to a lot of people. Um, on the economic side, you mentioned uh, it's, you know, getting a starter home is more difficult. There's all kinds of, of fancy charts and graphs that show um, how much more expensive uh, housing is in comparison to incomes. Um, getting that kind of start in life for a lot of families, including student loan debt and everything else, um, that that economically, that picture doesn't come together for a larger percentage of people. Um, and then on the cultural side, as you read a little bit of, um, you know, we have to remember that the majority of kids now are not born and spend their first 18 years uh, to their married biological parents, like in the, under the same roof with their married biological parents. Right. So um, the ideal of the family and, and fewer people because of smaller family size have siblings. So when you look at something 
like Ballerina Farms, and I think she has eight or nine kids. I'm actually not a huge follower of these accounts myself, but um, so I think she has eight or nine kids, right? Uh, this is not just an ideal that people are afraid will become too rigid or unattainable. It looks like nothing they've ever seen in their lives, right? Um, most people are coming from, in some way at this point, a broken family background. Um, and so it seems almost cruel. It seems very fake. Like it's very easy for a lot of people to look at that and say, even laying aside the extremely expensive, you know, stove for $50,000 or whatever, and, and this huge expensive um, piece of land and, and et cetera, et cetera, even laying aside the heiress part of this ideal and this aesthetic, even the basics of it are impossible, seem impossible for me to attain. And it seems cruel in that way. Um, and I think that that is probably a more legitimate, I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to destroy the ideal just because, uh, you know, people are having difficulty meeting it. But I understand why people react. Some people react to this as basically like dangling something beautiful in front of people that not only they won't achieve because they're not millionaires or billionaires and they don't have, you know, a, a father-in-law who owns an airline company. Um, I think people are kind of comfortable with that sort of, of uh, unattainability and they like to see what the rich and famous are doing. Um, but also in that like very simple sense that having a one income household seems out of reach, that uh, having a, a happily married couple with children that raised them under the same roof all the way through adulthood, that's rarer and rarer. Um, and it seems more and more out of reach and impossible and fake um, to a lot of people who don't have that that nuclear family background. So, um, I mean, I, I think that's sad, but I do think that's that's part of the the, the backlash against this particular ideal because it really is the idea the particular ideal that these women are presenting as opposed to literally every other ideal out there you know you have the the fashion ideal that you're you know gorgeous and walking the runway it, it's always you know beautiful young women of course um you know that that you are um an up and comer i would say even somebody like ivanka trump is like in some ways the quintessential girl boss account um in her social media a presence, right? She's always showing, you know, meetings with dictionaries and um, very chic pantsuits and stuff like that. I think she, that's that's the ideal that she's presenting. Nobody has any problem with any of that. Um, it's just when these women use their natural beauty and glamour to glamorize a lifestyle that is more conservative, small c conservative, that is more family oriented, oriented that is that um, nuclear family ideal uh, that people suddenly feel that this is like somehow inappropriate and an inappropriate ideal for um, to glamorize for young girls. You've summed that up perfectly there. And I think that definitely is the main point. Um, but one other I had one other question for you on this topic. This is sort of the darker underbelly of your piece. Um, I'd like to read this to you and help me explain uh, or explain to me if you wouldn't mind what you mean. When you talked about sex itself, the great promise of the sexual revolution, you say it's becoming a rarer and more elite experience as our social structures revert to something that looks more like nomadic tribal life with no obligation to continue to support discarded concubines. What do you mean by that? Um, well, if you look at data on dating apps, um, increasingly what's happening is essentially a type of serial polygamy. And I'm not talking about the polygamy trend that, uh, you know, all of the, the the New York Magazine and the like are writing about. I'm not talking about the, the polycules, um, but just serial, serial monogamy where a small percentage of the men are sleeping with a large percentage of the women that leaves 
increasingly the bottom half of men, right, uh, out in the cold, largely. Um, and then for the women who are involved in these relationships, these are men they can get to sleep with them, but not to commit to them long term or to marry them. So it is looking more like a harem structure. It's just like a serial harem, um, which in some ways is natural for our species. Uh, monogamy is a construct. Um, it's a, a Western Christian construct, largely a Jewish construct. Um, but I, I th it has provided stability in uh, in civilizations where there isn't constant warfare, uh, because something has to happen with all of all of the uh, the men who don't get married and can't have families. Um, I, I would say that our our particular way of dealing with these men is we stuff them full of pornography and um, and pot and and whatever else. It's kind of a soma brave new world uh, sort of um, ameliorative existence. Uh, but but if you look at the dating world today. People are having less sex, so whether that's men or women, um, you you see declines in in both in young young people having sex. Uh, people under thirty who are virgins, the numbers are are going up, right? Um, uh, at thirty, or who are still virgins at thirty are going up. Um, so your people are having less sex. Maybe that has to do with you know the digital world or or many other factors. And then specifically within the dating world, what you're having is a hypergamous, um, you know female liberated sexuality basically more or less looks like this. You have a, a small percentage of guys who are having a wonderful time and have no need to commit. Um, and as I said in, in that piece, no no need to to care for, you know, if you have a, a more traditional harem structure like Genghis Khan, um, you know, each new woman who's added to the harem is also taken care of and her children are taken care of. We don't have that obligation. So you just get discarded when the new one is on on the rise. Um, and so that's, that's not a very stable structure for a not nomadic civilization. Um, and it's one that causes a lot of heartbreak for a lot of people, uh, both men and women, I think. But oh, I um, yeah, so I it's, it's, it's not exactly what the sexual revolution promised us, which was sort of a endless, endless uh, pleasure. And that is definitely a huge can of worms that I'd love to explore with you in subsequent conversations. We are running out towards the end of our uh, time here, and I don't want to monopolize you. You've been so generous with us this morning. Inez Stepman, uh, would you like to share anything else with our listeners before we let you go? Yeah, you can uh, read my work and the work of my colleagues at IWF.org, Independent Women's Forum. Um, we are a collection of women who uh, have, sometimes we disagree, we're we're um, kind of all vaguely, though, uh, on the right, and we are interested in actually looking at policies and cultural ideas that make women's lives better rather than just sort of pretending to or using it as a shield um, to either to bash men or to uh, be a front for progressive ideas. So that's the Independent Women's Forum. You should really check it out. That's great. I've always been a big fan of the Independent Women's Forum. Inez Stepman, thank you very much for your time today. We're grateful for you being so generous. Great piece over at The Spectator. I hope you continue to put out quality work. And when you do, we'll have to have you back. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's Inez Stepman. What did you all think of that conversation? I think she deserves a round of applause, wouldn't you say? If you enjoyed that conversation and you haven't already, please do click that like button and subscribe to the channel. Wow. I am like... Yeah, the beat. That was a hell of a show. I gotta say, mm -hmm. pat myself on the back. 
I mean, you just heard that amazing conversation. Then we had Daniel McCarthy talking about the media earlier. We were talking about uh, the illegal immigration problems that we had earlier. Now, if you're saying to yourself, if you just listened to the show today for the very first time, you might be disappointed it's over. Well, guess what? You don't have to be sad because we will be back on tomorrow morning. But I know the realities of modern life. You've got a kid, all right? And the baby is calling, and you don't remember sometimes which the sh which show it was that you listened to that you enjoyed. It's the Wake Up America show. So just click subscribe, because as gigantic as my ego might be, it's not so huge that I think you're going to remember who I am tomorrow morning and be able to find us again. I mean, I am AP for liberty, right? I am a micro-influencer, right? D-list celebrity fame, right? But I'm not so hugely uh, egotistical to think that you're going to be like, oh, yeah, off, off, obviously, this Austin Peterson show, right? So, so solve this problem. Fix your faulty memory. Just click the subscribe button before you leave, and then you'll be able to find us here tomorrow morning. The show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. So if you want to have a good time, you want to get up and hear some great interviews, some great conversations, get your noggin stirring, you know, have a little bit of coffee and maybe have a laugh as well, then you're in the right place. So make sure you come back and join us tomorrow. Now, how does the Wake Up America show happen? Does evil billionaire Koch brothers or George Soros fund us? No, it's because of the support of viewers or listeners just like you. So. Hit that AP for Liberty shop. We call it the grift shop because that's funnier than gift shop. Exit through the grift shop. Get yourself a box of Founding Flavors coffee. I promise you it's the most delicious coffee you will ever taste in the world. Highly recommend that Thomas's Painkiller. That's my favorite. Washington's Revolutionary Roast, also very popular. We've got a new flavor in town, James Madison, Madisonian Mornings. Get it at ap4libertyshop.com. Oh, and don't forget too, brand new sneakers in the shop. Man, these are selling like crazy. I, I didn't know there was such a demand, but maybe I should have learned when Donald Trump went to SneakerCon in Philadelphia last week and unveiled his Donald Trump sneakers. I wish I could sell those. Those babies are 400 bucks a piece. But if you like me and you're a poor little podcaster or whatever you do and you can't afford $400 sneakers, get yourself a pair of Javier Malay Afuera sneakers over at AP4LibertyShop.com. Sneakers, custom patriotic metal signs, delicious coffees. We've got it all at AP4LibertyShop.com. We'll see you guys here tomorrow on the Wake Up America Show. Thank you. Love you. It's the Wake Up America Show at WakeUpAmericaShow.com. Bye, guys.